It's hard to make a transition <laughs> out of that. And almost, it's part of me says, just go home. Let's just go home. Isn't that why we meet? Don't we meet to, um, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? That's why we come. We come to be equipped. And uh, uh, it's, it's encouraging uh, uh, to, see, uh, to be part of a church that uh, understands what it means to meet, to meet people's needs. And I just love that on a small scale, we were able to do a lot more than the $50 gas card for our single moms. I'm excited about that. So grab your Bibles. We'll transition in and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we will make a transition uh, into the Word of God, which this passage is just it's, it's so good for today. And uh, when, if you need that Bible, hold your hand up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we opened up Ephesians and looking at uh, who we are in Christ and the benefits of that. And this book is really just a snapshot of what it means to be a follower of Christ and how we, we're blessed by that. And, and on Easter Sunday we looked at the second part of, of Ephesians 1. So today we're looking at Ephesians 2. And as I look at this, what jumps out at me is this. I think... Paul and, and God himself wants us to know that we need to remember our roots. We need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember uh, what, what it was like before Christ and what it's like now. We need to, to, to go back and say, there was a time when it was dark. There was a time when I was desperate. There was a time when I had no hope. But because Jesus intervened, we're going to see in this passage, that everything could potentially change for those that are Christ followers. And so it's good to remember your roots. It's also good to share your testimony. And sharing your testimony, you go back and you recall times where Christ came through for you. And so you see that he's powerful. In fact, in Revelation, it says this, that we overcome the enemy. Satan himself is defeated by the power of a testimony. When you speak your testimony to God's goodness and his power in your life, Satan is defeated. I want to show you a story, and we're going to watch a story of a professional baseball player who plays for the Texas Rangers, who was, who was MVP last year. He's a terrific um, outfielder, powerful home run hitter. Um, he's one of the elite of the elite baseball players uh, in, the, in the major leagues. And this is his story of before Christ and what it's like post-Christ. Watch the story of Josh Hamilton of the Texas Rangers. You know, drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, I never used one without the other. The drugs were the closest thing for that adrenaline rush for me of throwing somebody out. You know, the ball's hit, you get under it, the crowd's starting to build, the guy's tagging, the whole plate's being created in front of you. And then when he's out and the roar of the crowd and that adrenaline rush you get. When baseball wasn't there, that's what, that's what that did for me. And that's what got me addicted so quickly. Growing up, I was, I was really good at sports. You know, that's all I ever wanted to do. And that's all my life focused around was playing and being a part of a team. I got drafted after high school to play professional baseball. Did really well. And yeah, I had more money than I'd ever wanted to have. Um, you know, my parents were were there watching me play. It was a dream come true for me. So me and my parents, um, on the way home from a spring training game, got in a car accident. Uh, 
a dump truck ran a red light as we were turning left and plowed into us. The two things I really knew in life, baseball and my parents, were taken away from me at the same time. Um, so I had to find somewhere I could turn where I felt comfortable. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I got tattoos. I started getting tattoos, hanging out at you know, the parlor all day. And the people there, they were good people. They just made bad choices. And that's where I was introduced to my first drug and my first drink. I went down a path of destruction. You know, I actually got suspended from baseball. And it wasn't because of anybody else, it was because of the way I was living, the choices I was making. Everything in my life up until this point, I could do them all. I didn't need help from anybody. I was good at everything. And this, the drugs and the alcohol, I couldn't stop doing it. And I wanted to do more. It was, it was just, it was, it was chaos. You know, there was this guy in a suit, dark suit, and you know, I was, I was fighting him. And you know, I know, I, I know it was the devil because I was fighting him and beating him and knocking him down, and he just had this cold smirk on his face, and he just kept getting up and coming after me and coming after me. And you know, I was to the point where I was worn out and I, and I couldn't fight anymore. And I woke up. It scared me so bad that I got up out of my bed, <laughs> went across the hallway to my grandmother's room, knocked on the door. I said, Grandma? She said, yeah. I said, I had a bad dream. And I said, can I, can I sleep with you? That's a 25-year-old man asking if he can get into bed with his grandmother. And uh, you know, she welcomed me in. And the next night, I asked God, I said, I, said, I need help. I said, I, I, I've been trying to do this so long that I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't try anymore, I said, because I fell on my own. You do with me what you want to do with me. But I surrendered. And I noticed the Bible at the end of the bed, and I started just looking through it, and the verse that caught my eye is James 4, 7. It says, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And that's exactly what I did. Within six months, I had the same exact dream again. You know, I was knocking him down and, and beating him and hitting him. And um, he stood up and he just looked at me. And I looked to my side and I didn't see Jesus, but I knew he was standing beside me because we started chasing the devil. And I never woke up feeling more calm and at peace than I ever have. I'm Josh Hamilton, and I am second. Obviously, Josh has a story. He has a story of what his life was like before he met God.
met Jesus Christ and what his life was like after he met Jesus Christ. It's a story of him being dead in his sin and trying to work it all out himself and depend upon himself when he finally flatlined his life was basically he was empty, lost his parents in a car accident, drugs and, and alcohol became his friend, his idol. That's what brought him comfort. He was at the bottom rung, got kicked out of baseball. And then he met Jesus Christ and everything changed for him. Everything changed from that moment. And I think today when we jump into this text, we're going to see that same theme. When this letter was, was read to the early church 2,000 years ago, when Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, I really believe he wanted them to remember where they were and where they're at now. He wanted them to remember their roots. He wanted them to recall how dark it was and how dreary it was and hopeless it was for them. And when we back ourselves back to that point, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, some of us have to go way, way, way back. Some of us don't have to go back so far, but it's good to go back. He wanted the early church to know what incredible blessing came upon them when they came to know Christ. You see, it's so easy for us to move on. It is, and I know it is, because I've been saved a very, very long time. I can often, and I often know when people forget where they've come from. Because I think in a circle of this size, in a circle in the Lincoln across our world, even South Bend, Mishawaka, there are many in this form of watching and listening to this right now. Have been, you have been saved for so very long that you've forgotten what you've been saved from. And it's real easy just to move on and realize the only thing you remember is this Christ-like life. The only thing you remember is what it is to follow Christ. And what Paul is wanting us to do is go back to that point in time. Not just to drudge up the sin. To go back and say, there was a point in time of your life where you were dark, hopeless, and helpless. And Jesus intervened. And let's go back and just say, thanks. That's what Paul wants us to do this morning. And I watch it happen often. What happens, the farther away we get from that point of time when we crossed over from death to life, when the farther away we get, it's real easy to lose sight of how significant that moment was and how precious it, it still should be to us. And so we just kind of coast on, yeah, we're Christ followers. And what happens is, too, is we lose our zeal. We lose our fire. We lose our fervor. And those around us don't even know we're followers. And we lose our zeal to tell others about this miraculous event and this miraculous God that saved. It is so good to be in the family of God. Does anybody agree with that? It is so good to be in the family of God. Yet Paul wanted this church. And I believe it's good for us to hear this thing. He wanted this church to remind themselves that there was a dark, dark time. He wanted them to say, to, to, to go back and say, it's good to be a Christ follower. And there was a time you were desperate and you were away from God and you were headed to hell. Go back and remember that moment. And so grab your Bibles and we're going to go on this journey of this reminder of our roots and stand with me. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. We were once dead is what we're going to see. Let's read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. Ready, read. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. 
Like the rest, we were nature's objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You may have a seat. It's difficult for us sometimes to jump into a text and and, and surround ourselves with the events of what was the moment. But picture, if you can, you're going to your mailbox. You're pointing out this, this, this snail mail. And it's a letter from home. It's a letter from a, a relative. It's a letter from a friend. It's a letter from someone who's close. And in this case, it was a letter from Paul. And, and they opened it up. And so all the, the, the members and all the family of this church got together. And someone would read this letter. And this letter was read. And so as they're listening, Paul wanted them to remember something. And so imagine, they they loved Paul, they adored him, and he would come and visit them. But now they're receiving this letter from him. And as they stood and read this, they listened to every word because they loved Paul. He taught them, He 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 was hope to them. And he says to them, there was a time when you were once dead in your sins and transgressions. Plain and simple, you were spiritually dead at one time. Headed to hell and without hope whatsoever. And this book is loaded, not so much with problems that are happening in that church, but loaded with, he, he wanted them not to forget how good it is to be a Christ follower and how good it is to be blessed. Sometimes we live in the blessings of God and we take it for granted. And Paul says, don't do that. There was a time that you were headed for hell. And there was a time, all of us in this room, before Christ, were, were, were hopeless and were helpless until Christ intervened. It was a time when it was really, really, really bad. And Paul is saying there was a time when you thought you were a good person and in good shape. A time when your lungs were polluted with unbelief. A time when you lived life for pleasure and you were disobedient. A time, and it's hard for us, us, some of us to imagine that, but a time when we followed Satan and we followed the, the ruler of this world and we were disobedient. There was a time when we were desperately in need of a savior. We were dead men walking and didn't even know it. Some of us didn't even know it. We thought somehow that we were good enough and good doesn't get you uh, into relationship with Jesus. There was a time when we were dead. And Paul is reminding us today, we certainly do not deserve this salvation that is so rich and free. I really believe the reason we see so few people sharing their faith in our world today In fact, you've heard me say this, but by the time you are in your sixth year of being a Christ follower, you share your faith zero times. Think about that, zero. As you mature, you would think you'd be more excited. You'd be more grateful for this relationship because of what God has done. But the opposite is true. The longer we become Christians, the less we have this zeal and fervor to tell other people about this miraculous intervention of God. And I believe the reason that is, is many have forgotten what we've been saved from. And you say, well, Jim, I, I can't remember I was so little. Listen, you don't, it doesn't matter. Even if you were little and your family was believers and they told you the truth and you were saved at an early age, imagine what your life would be like without Christ. Stop and ask yourself this question right now. Just ask yourself this question. Where might you be today if not for Jesus Christ? I mean, you don't have to imagine much. 
You see, for me personally, here's what I know. I want so badly for others to experience and have this personal relationship and, and, and to be able to lay their, their head on the pillow at night like we can to know Christ and to know that I don't care if I breathe my last breath. It doesn't matter because I know my next breath is in the presence of Jesus Christ and that's good. And I want people to know that. You know, that keeps me awake at night. I want others to know that you could come to Grace Community and we're, gonna, we're not only going to have a chance for you to be loved, but we're going to introduce you to a God that loves you way more than we can and that will walk with you your whole life and that you can have a relationship that's none, that none compares to. Isn't that true, though? Nothing compares to relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's so easy to forget that truth. Because we're, we, we move on to the next. It's like, well, we, we, it's like we move from this place to the next place. We want some other high, some other good. Just stop and think. Think how God provides every single day and gives you breath and gives you life and gives you hope. What he's saying to this church and to us today is, is don't take what you have for granted. I watch Christians almost get bored with their walks. So like, oh, I got to go to church. Oh, I got to read the Bible. I got to pray. I gotta, it's like... And you begin to say, don't you realize that there are people headed to hell today that are, that are hopeless and you have incredible hope? Man, there should be nothing boring about walking with Jesus Christ. It's incredible to have a Savior. It's incredible to know him. And yet I watch. It's like, oh, I got to go to church and mom's making me and I got to go. And my wife's making me. It's Mother's Day. I got to go to church. Oh, great. Let's go sing. Let's give away a van. All right. Listen to me. This relationship with Jesus should just put an extra bounce in your step every single day. So Paul says first, he says, now listen, church at Ephesus and church of Grace Community, there was a time you were dead and you were spiritually dead and you had no hope. But listen, but because of God's great love for us, verse four, look at it again. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy and praise the Lord that he is, made us alive. Now, he says, you were dead. Now you are alive in Christ. I love the hope that comes to people who are hopeless. I loved on Easter Sunday when we saw numerous people cross over from death to life because I knew that everything would change for them. I also love being part of a church that has new believers. I probably would, be, would, 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 would become frustrated if I spent my whole life with Christ followers only. And not because I don't love them, and not because I, 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 I care for them, but, but I, I know what happens to, if we just get so inward focused and think about ourselves, we lose sight of those around us who need Jesus. I love being with people who need Jesus, because I love when the light goes on. It's like, oh, I need help. Oh, there's hope. Oh, Jesus is the answer. I love that process. It does something to me when I see someone walk from darkness to light. It puts an extra bounce in my step. And I love sharing the good news with other people. And Paul is saying, please, don't let this walk become a stagnant walk. One of the greatest ways to remove your life from a, a, a time of stagnancy is to do and to share the good news of Christ. So on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we saw many people cross the line. And I love it. In this room today and in Link. There are people who are like three weeks old in their faith. Now think about it. Remember when you were three weeks old in the faith? No one wanted to be around you. Remember? Because all you talk about everywhere, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you're like, would you quit? It's like all of a sudden, as you, it's like that's what you're supposed to happen. As you mature in Christ, you don't say Jesus anymore. 
And as you mature in Christ, you don't have that fervor and that desire. It's like, one of these days, you'll be like the rest of us. It's like, no, don't listen to them. Jesus is awesome. This relationship is beautiful. And you should be excited about it. And Paul is saying, church, listen to me. Some of you are almost bored with this walk. And he's looking at this church of Ephesus is remember where you've come from. We need others to know that our God is great in mercy. And he longs for them to be rescued. He answered the 911 calls of our lives. And he wants to answer the 911 calls of potentially people in this room. Even here today. In case you've forgotten too, he says, this was the total work of God. We're saved by grace. Have you ever witnessed a heroic rescue? Have you ever been there? You know, you, you've seen them on TV. You've seen where someone is drowning and all of a sudden this guy standing on the shore who barely thinks any thought of, of, of wisdom just dives in cold water, swims across and tries to rescue because inside of him is this innate sense to save and to help and to rescue. I wonder if you feel that way about someone that you know that's drowning in their sin. Is there's this part of you, Paul's saying, that just says, all right, if you're not jumping, I'm jumping in. Or do you stand and say, oh, I hope someone else gets them. hope someone else gets them. You see, heroic acts, they, they do something to us. Or have you ever witnessed, you know, a, a child or a person running in front of a car, and then out of nowhere, someone comes and pushes the person out of the way and rescues their life, and it's a heroic act. Some of us know even Fairfield School is a heroic act of a teacher who lost their life trying to rescue someone else. You don't forget things like that. Yet, is that the memories that people have of your life, of you wanting them so badly to have what you have that you tell them about Jesus too. Many have forgotten what they've been saved from. And that's the problem that that we have here today. When was the last time you stopped and just said thanks to Jesus for rescuing you? Think about this. They bring the person who's been rescued he stands there, he's shivering, he's been in the water. And, and then they bring this, this person in that, that's rescued them. And, and, and how often do you see this person who's been rescued just says, thank you, thank you. Because they understand that they were dead. They understand that they would have they they breathed their last breath if it had not been for that heroic person on the sidelines that jumped in and saved their life. They wouldn't be able to speak. And so when they're given the chance to talk, For the next time, they just say, thanks. Let me ask you a real personal question. When's the last time? No, seriously. When's the last time this week, this month, this year, that you just stopped? Instead of petitioning God and asking him for stuff, instead of asking for healing and asking for uh, financial help and whatever, you just stopped and you pulled away and you just said, thank you. I was dead in my transgressions and in my sins and you rescued me. Thank you. Seriously, can you think of a time? How far back you got to go where you just stopped and said, thank you for my salvation. Not thank you for this, this car. Not thank you for this house. But stop back and said, thank you. I am rescued because of you. That's what Paul's saying. We need to be appreciative of our salvation. You see, the, the farther away you get from verbalizing that, the more bored you get with your faith. And it, it, it's, it happens so easily because some of us have been saved for so long we forget what we've been saved from. In fact, we can't even hardly remember the details. It's like, like yeah, it's like Billy Graham crusade, 1968. I walked the aisle, praise God. It's like, that's where we're at. And Paul's saying, no, don't do that. We are alive and well now. 
Seriously, we have become, have we become so ungrateful that we've forgotten what Jesus has done for us? Paul goes on. Then he says this. Look what he says here in verse 6. Read on. He says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I bet when they heard this for the first time, there was like a woo-woo. We read the scriptures like, yeah, I know, Jim. You said that two weeks ago. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In verse 7, it says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are alive and well. We're seated where we shouldn't be seated. We have VIP treatment. Now, there's nothing like a VIP pass. Think, think about this. When you go to a restaurant and you have reservations ahead of time, isn't that awesome when you walk into a restaurant and you see that line that's going clean out through the parking lot, it's making an S and it's going around, and, and they give them, they have, everybody's standing with their little buzzers and they're waiting for the beep, and you know, I got VIP, I'm going to the front. And so you go up to the desk and you, and you tell the hostess or host, you say, hey, hey Brown, 535. And so you, you, then, then, then you hear, Brown, party of four, Brown, party of four. And you just kind of walk your way right through there. And there's a party, it's like, for some crazy reason, you want to hold your chest out a little bit more. It's like, you walk by all these people and you're like, I got the seat. It's like it's VIP treatment and you go and sit down and in a weird way, it feels really good because everyone else had to wait, but your name was Brown and you had preferential treatment. You were VIP that night. That's what Paul's saying. Don't forget that you are VIP. God's called out your name. There's a reservation that we saw a couple weeks ago last week, a set out ahead of time and you've already got your seat and your seat's really good. You're at the front of the room and your feet are dangling with Jesus Christ. Oh, it's cool. Hallelujah. Jesus is there. I'm here. I praise God. Listen, VIP with Jesus is good news. Seriously, have you ever waited at a restaurant and, and, and you're waiting on your name? And you wait and you wait and you wait. And the picture is you don't have to wait. By the way, have you ever done this at a restaurant? We were at a restaurant recently at Das Essen House. And uh, we were up there eating. And someone put their name in as Elvis. It was great. So you have this long line and you're waiting and you're seeing all that stuff that's overpriced at the Essen House and you hear Elvis. And you just wait and see who this guy is that's going to come walking up there. And this guy came walking there. All of me wanted to go up there and say, is that really your name? Because everyone looked, Elvis, party of four, Elvis, party of four. You know, just. By the way, next time you go out to eat this afternoon, if you have a reservation ahead of time, just put president in front of your name. Just I'm gonna ask him what your name is. Say President Brown, President Boyd's. President Smith. And so when they call President or a party of four, President Brown and his family, party of four, President Brown and his family party. Watch when people look at you. (laughs) Do it. I'm serious. Do it. Just another little sidebar here that that doesn't have a whole bunch to do with the message, but it bothers me. You know, when I think about that whole concept of party, when you're at restaurants and they say, Smith, party of two. You ever see the people's faces? They're not going to any party. I don't want to sit with them. It's like, holy cow. They don't like a party. It'd be awesome when they say, Brown, party of four, and we all got our, our little noisemakers up <laughs> and sit down. They shouldn't use the word party, should they? It's like we're all going to a funeral. VIP, <laughs> I got to get back here. VIP treatments. Jesus is saying, you're, <laughs> this afternoon's going to have some fun. <laughs> I hope I'm in the restaurant when they call president somebody today. <laughs> But Jesus said, you got preferential treatment. You have VIP seats. And then he says this. I like what he says in verse 7. The reason we've been raised with Christ, the reason we've been saved is this. 
Look at verse 7 says, what's the two, what's the first three words of verse 7? Read them with me. In order that. Okay. When I see in order that, that's because of something that just took place. Because we're Christ followers, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what the word show means? I love this word. In the original in the Greek, it has this idea of exhibit. So when you look at that, it says, in order that in the coming ages he might exhibit the incomparable riches of his grace through us. Have you ever been to a convention? Most of you have. And you have all these booths that are out there and everyone wants to sell their product, the newest and best and fastest and whatever it is. And, and, and you can get it today for a good deal if you, and they'll give you a good deal. And there's all these booths and everyone puts out their exhibit. So you walk by and you look, nah, I don't want that. Oh, I like that. Mm, I don't like, no, no way. And, and, and they're trying to pull you in to give you samples. And, and so there's these exhibits along the way. And, and Paul is saying this, Christ has put us in, on exhibit. And so there's this picture, there's our booth. And when we walk by, Christ says, look, that's one of my kids. And by my grace and because of my kindness, they are radically saved. And I want you to know, that's the picture that's here. In order that Christ saves that, us in order that, it says, the coming ages he might show, exhibit the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed through his kindness. So we're like exhibit A and exhibit B. So listen to me. When people come by your booth, what do they see? Seriously, there's a Christ follower. I can guarantee you they've been saved 35 years. That's what they look like. There's like six weeks. See, you can tell the difference. Look at six weeks and 35 years. There's something about a person who's new in the faith. You just want to be around them because they understand that they were dead and headed to hell. Listen, so are you at one point in your life, Paul's saying. You should rejoice and say, thank you, God. And that's what he was saying to the church at Ephesus. And that's what he's saying to the church of Jesus Christ today. He is writing this to Christians. He moves on. Look what else he says. Look at verse 8. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the what of God? Gift of God. Not by works so that no one can what? Boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this because often we go, and I do too. I go to this text. It's a prescription of how to get saved. But when it was first written, it was a reminder of how you were saved. And so Paul was saying to this church, hey, don't forget. It's by grace through faith, not by works. Because maybe there was this faction of that were beginning to wonder that they were they were pretty good and and and, it's, and maybe there was this group within this midst saying I deserve this and got and Paul saying wait a minute church of Ephesus and I'm saying wait a minute Grace Community Church today remember it wasn't because of your good looks it wasn't because of your good works it was because of His grace that you're saved we need that reminder from time to time because some of us can really really fall in love with ourselves and like the stuff we do and we like when we're doing really good and we get exalted and Jesus is saying no 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 it's because of grace that you're saved and so when you remember that you go back and just say thank you because you realize you can't earn your salvation there was a time when we were totally lost I love if you're an artist here today if you're a craftsman if you're an engineer if you're a painter whatever 
I love what he says. He says that we are God's, look again, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are God's masterpiece of art. He tells the early church that the future is bright and God expects great things from them. You are his number one exhibit. And so you're at the art gallery. And he sees there's Jimmy Brown. He's my work, he's my work of art. And he's quite a work of art, that's for sure. There he is. And some of you are quite a work of art too. And then that's the picture. And God says, there it is. He's, he's my masterpiece. God exhibits us, puts us on exhibit, shows us to the world. And he said, but the reason he's there and the reason he has this, this VIP treatment is because of my grace. And then he says this, not only because you're a work of art and because you're a masterpiece, but I have such great things in store for you. Prepared, God prepared in advance for us to do. He just doesn't want us to sit at the booth and try to sell our product every weekend. He wants us to put it into action. And sometimes that's what the church has become. It's like an exhibit. Come in and all the followers of Christ come and we're all saved and we sit there and we worship and we praise God and we leave and we don't put it into action. And God is saying, hey, I did more than just save you. I equipped you to do the good work so that you could pass this on to other people. Don't keep it to yourselves. And people that have lost sight of what they've been saved from, stop sharing their faith. They do. They get bored with it. And we use excuses like, well, I'm too shy and my personality. Listen, you have had 35 years to work on your personality. I mean, when you really think about it, that excuse is done. It's old. Find a new one. That's what Paul's saying. We work on other things. We improve in other areas. That's the thing that always gets me when I hear some of these excuses. Now, if you go to an employer and he says, you know what? You're not up to par. You need to work in the, to develop this new skill. You need to go back to school. You know what we do? We go back to school. We go back and, and, and try to become better at what we're doing so that we can have that job. But listen, some of us know what we do when it comes to sharing our faith. Well, I'm not good at it. So we say that excuse for 30, 40, 50 years. Instead of working at it, instead of improving and believing that God can improve us. And so why do we let that lie work there, but in other places we work for stuff that doesn't even really matter? And Paul is saying, remember where you've come from because there's a world that needs Jesus Christ. And if you don't share, there won't be any more exhibits around here. In fact, let's close the doors to those exhibits because they don't even speak or put it into action. Then he says this, you were dead, you were alive. Now look at verse 11. Therefore, okay, what's the therefore? That's anytime you see the word therefore, therefore, because you were dead, therefore now because you're alive, remember again, he says that formerly, it's like he needed to drive this home. He keeps stressing this. Remember, remember, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. It seems like this group needs a good boost in their confidence. Because Paul goes to great effort to remind them, hey, 
You were the gent- Gentile is, means you weren't Christ followers. You weren't part of the inner circle. You didn't know Jesus. You were lost. You were un- uncircumcised. And so it's this picture of there's, you're an alien. You're a foreigner. You're different. But that was where you were. Now, remember, this is where you are. They were once foreigners without hope. And look, back, look down at verse 12. It says, without the covenants of the promises of God. Whenever I travel overseas and stand in the line at the airport where it says for foreigners, and you've all been there too if you traveled overseas. As you stand there, you're standing there with your passport. You're standing there hopefully with, 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 with the, the seating, uh, uh, the ticket for seating on this airplane that will put you on this plane. And so you're standing in this line just hoping beyond hope when you get to the front of this, this, this counter that that person there who's different than you, that person who's in another country just speaks some English. You're hopeful that when you get up there and sit down that, that they'll understand that you got the passport, that, that, you, that you printed out the pass, the seating pass, and you're just hoping that they speak your language. But when you're standing there, you feel like a foreigner. You just, it just, you know that you're, you're not where you belong. It's just, it's just not comfortable. It's not where your home is. And Paul's saying, that's where you were. You were once a foreigner. You weren't home. You were in the wrong line. But then when you travel and you head back home, have you ever flown into Chicago and you get off the plane and you declare your stuff and you have your, your tag and you're declaring stuff and you walk down that hallway in Chicago airport and you walk down the hallway and there's this sign that says, welcome to the USA. It's like, woo, home. And all those fears and all those, you're wondering, you don't have to go to the counter. You know that they're going to speak your language. And probably more often than not, when I get to the counter and finally he stamps my passport and he looks at my stuff that I'm declaring and he looks at all my immigration stuff and, he, and I say, boy, it's good to be back home in the USA. And Paul's saying, there was a time when you stood in the foreigner line and you know everything that goes there. You're just hoping beyond hope that, that they'll pass you through. And, but now you're, you're in your line. You're, you're a citizen of America. And you stand in that line. It's good to be home. He said, don't you forget where you were. There was a time when you weren't a member of this family. We have a new family now. It's what Paul is saying. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Now that you're part of this family, you are blessed with every promise that's in the covenant. That has been written in the Bible. You know, we could speak for hours and I won't do it because I know you're hungry and you want to go tell me you're president so-and-so for lunch today. But anyhow... There are many promises that we have. Sometimes we just take them for granted. Just, just one promise. Just stop and think about this promise for those of us who know Christ. And Paul is saying, when you become part of the family, you now have these promises that you once didn't have when you were in the foreigner line. Now you have it. Think about this. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Just stop there. If you need anything more than that, listen. That's all we need, isn't it? God will never, never leave us nor forsake us. Never. Other promises. He promises to be close to the brokenhearted. So when you're hurting, he promises. And when God makes a promise, he comes through. He promises to come again and to take us home to be with him if the rapture doesn't occur first. That's a great promise. He promises not allow us to be tempted Beyond what we can bear. Not tested, but tempted. 
He promises to provide a way out. So there's always a way out of temptation. God promises, God promises, God promises all through scripture. And Paul is saying, guess what, Christ followers, those of you who are in this exhibit, that's what you have. Don't take that for granted. And there's a world out there that doesn't have that. You are part of this new family. You see, church, listen to me. The physical family that you have is pretty special. It, it is. There's nothing like your own family. And, and for holidays and Mother's Day, you know, Father's Day, it's, I feel that distance. I would love to give my mom a hug today. I would love to embrace her and see her smile and, and just tell her face to face that I love her. And part of our journey is Anne and I, we left family behind. And so my children haven't had grandparents like most people have grandparents. It's, they don't have grandparents coming to games, aunts and uncles coming to games. And they, they don't have the, the, the blood family cheering them on. But let me tell you, when we became part of the family of God, Grace Community became our family. And when we come here, you are family to us. Not only are you family to us, but there's this big world out there with other Christ followers, Paul is saying, this universal Christian who are Christ followers that is part of your family. And so when you see the needs of the world, that's family. Family helps family in need. They just don't push them aside. You see a need of a Christ follower in China, you try to help. You see them in Thailand and Cambodia, you try to help. You see them in Nicaragua, you try to help because they're family. And Paul is saying, don't lose sight of this beautiful gift that comes when you become part of the family. A caring, concerned family. And then he says this. Look on what he says. He says, for he himself is our peace, Jesus Christ, who has made the two one, destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Then it says this, he came and preached peace to you as I'm preaching to you today who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the spirit by one to the Father by one spirit. Seriously, when I'm all alone and I begin to think how good it is to be a Christ follower in the family of God, I have unusual peace. I love belonging to this new family. And I've belonged to this family for a long time. And there's nothing like traveling around the world or driving to another state or going to a store, but there's nothing like... I mean, I don't know how many times I've flown on, on an airplane and I've been on an airplane and, and I begin talking to the person beside me, engaging conversation, trying to see where they're at spiritually. And when I find out that they're a believer, I don't even know this person. I've known them for like two or three, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And all of a sudden there's this instant bond, a connection, because they're part of the family too. It's interesting what can happen when someone you talk to that you never met says, you know what? I'm a Christ follower. This automatic bond. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this unusual bond. It's like we're all in the family. It's like you don't, it's like you know the secret handshakes. <laughs> you know them. It's like 
They're Christ followers. You know, I've sat with people who, who know broken English and I've known broken Asian and, and Thai and Khmer. And I know all I say is Jesus. And they say Jesus like, I just want to hug them. They're family. And Paul is saying, that's what we got, church. It's not just here. It's everywhere. And there will be a day. Don't forget it, he said, when we all come together as one family. But what he's saying is, there's some people on the outside of the family that need to get in. So please, the way they get in is by you living out your faith and telling them how good it is on the inside. See, here's the problem in here. Some of you don't even know what you got. Because you've, been, you've had it for so long that you become, it's stale to you. Listen to me, ask God to renew that fire. Because it's so valuable and so good and so rich to be a Christ follower. Do anybody agree with that? It is incredible blessing. He wraps it up. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners. Praise God and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to build, become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what does this mean to us? Remember where you've come from. If you lost your fire, get on your knees and repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. If you're ungrateful, it's evident. Things like jealousy surface, bitterness. Listen, all we need to do is step back. If you think you need a bounce in your step, just imagine where you might be without Christ. We are blessed beyond our imaginations. We can't keep the salvation that's so rich and so free to ourselves. We must tell others, Paul is saying. The greatest gift you could ever give someone is the gift of salvation. Many of you today will probably go and spend time with your mom or your family, extended family. Sometimes it's the hardest group to get together. And many of you have unsaved family members. They know that you're a Christ follower. And so for years and years and years, and I know because you know, I know how difficult it is, and I've heard this over and over and over and over and over, it's more difficult to share with your own family than anybody. Maybe today you just bust through that barrier and say, listen to me, sis, listen to me, bro. Listen to me, mom, listen to me, dad, listen to me, cuz. I cannot sit in the exhibit booth any longer without opening my mouth. God is so good. He loves you. And I cannot live another day and breathe another breath without you at least hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. I love you too much to allow you to stay in this condition. And if that means they reject you, then so be it for a while. At least you crossed over and said you need Jesus. Listen, the best gift that you can give a family is Jesus Christ, bar none. Please walk through the fear. Walk through it today. God, help us today. You are a great God. And Jesus, we are blessed beyond our imaginations. Stir that fire in our hearts. Help us not just to go through the motions. Help us to gain a clear awareness of how 
incredibly blessed we are to be in the family of God. Lord, open our mouths. Jesus, I think in a family, I, I pray for family today. I pray for family situations. Often on Mother's Day, there, there's some scarred and fractured relationships. Jesus, I ask that you would move in the hearts of children who, who, who are walking away from God. There are moms in this room that carry such a heavy weight and fathers that carry such a heavy burden. I pray today, God, that something would click on Mother's Day in these children's lives and they'll say, you know what? I got to come back to Jesus or I got to come to Jesus. I pray, God, for breakthrough like we've never seen before. I pray for a sweet spirit amongst children to their mothers. I also pray, God, this. I pray for healing for fractured relationships between mother and children. I ask God that you would break down the division and that that you would restore and renew. And God, that this would be a day like none other before. Lord, work in a special way. And God, I pray in our going today that you would give us opportunities and that we would see them and that we would act on them and that you will, through us, allow us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Stir the fire, God. Stir the fire in our hearts. I commit all the moms in this room to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.